Welcome to episode 178 of Tim Talk, the podcast about the DC animated universe co-created by Bruce Tim. I'm Chris Lord. Namaste, Chris. I'm Cameron. <laughs> Cameron, you're sounding um, very calm and collected right now. Yes, this is my 2021. Chris, everything is fine. My mm-hmm. bubble is safe. <laughs> And there isn't anything in the world that could possibly ruin this inner peace that I've found. Yeah, there, there, there's nothing, nothing at all going on. <laughs> no, I have, I have fortified this bubble with cement, <laughs> concrete. Lots of cans of spam, possibly. Yep. Yeah, spam. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm really bunkered down. <laughs> Well, as you should be, that's probably the best thing to be doing right now is to bunker down. Um, yeah, I mean, this is our, our first uh, new episode, first episode recording in 2021, and we're, we're finally back on the DCAU train after uh, basically a month absence between bonus episodes and a much-needed week off. Um, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's been a weird week, I think, uh, to say the least, if you're listening to this when it comes out, um, and... Ultimately, our goal is to be lighthearted entertainment and distraction, and so that is what we're going to uh, focus on this week, is just being a nice, hopeful break for most people away from the madness of the world, particularly the United States right now, and to just unwind and relax and enjoy ourselves for a little bit. Yeah. So... If, for, for the international listeners, uh, good for you. <laughs> good, good, for, good for you. Good for yes. you, and do you have an extra bed by chance? Yeah. Uh, anyone looking to get married? Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't mind a nice ticket out of here, but, uh, no, we're, we're going to be doing our, our normal show this week, even though <laughs> by pure coincidence, uh, our topic of our episode this week is actually a coup. <laughs> so yes, because we are talking, uh, the Wonder Woman focused maid of honor, uh, a couple of odd episodes, I think, which will be a lot of fun to discuss. I, yeah, these were weird and i i'm still trying to just like understand everything that happened Mm -hmm. because there's a lot but also nothing and also they blew up the international space station that that they did a a very different take on the international space station to say the least um yes yeah so we'll be we'll be getting to that shortly but first uh in you know in the spirit of positivity and nice fun, lighthearted things. Uh, wanted to send a very special shout out to James Strecker of the Watchtower Database and his wife, Jessica, and congratulate them on the birth of their son, Aaron. Congratulations. Yes. Uh, no, James is, uh, you know, uh, a big DCAU nerd just like us, more so than us, actually. He actually knows what he's talking about. Yeah, he, he is our fact checker. Yes. And by that, I mean, we get our facts from just his <laughs> videos yeah. and regurgitate them for these listeners. We, we have to constantly ask them to fact check us uh, after the fact and then correct ourselves down the line. But uh, no, James is also just a, an incredibly genuine, sweet person and uh, super, super excited for them. And, um, you know, there's some pics that they've posted on, on Twitter and Instagram and various places. And that kid is genuinely super cute. I often don't say that. I, I think most babies are kind of ugly, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, Aaron's actually babies. really cute. So... Uh, but no, congratulations, you two. Super, super happy for you. And uh, yeah, what a fun, exciting adventure to get to start out on. So welcome to the world, uh, as someone I saw put it on Twitter, the Watchtower Data Baby. 
So that's good. Yeah, that's very good. It's really good. I'm kind of mad someone beat me to that one because it's a beautiful portmanteau, and I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but no, like I said, we're talking um, Maid of Honor this week, which um, I had you not seen these before because there's a lot of these you didn't necessarily see when they originally aired, right? Yes, we we've now definitively hit the point where I have always fallen off the bandwagon. Okay. And and usually just jump to Justice League Unlimited by now. Okay, yeah. They're what did you what was your initial reaction to these, given that you had not seen them before? Oh man, part one. They're very different episodes. They're I feel like they're they're pretty different from everything that we've seen up till now. Mainly just also just like I feel like it's been a minute since we've had like a single character focused episode. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that. I think this might be the fewest number of leaguers to appear in an episode because the first part, at least, is just Batman and Wonder Woman. No one else shows up. And I, I think that might be a first. I, I think this might be the only time so few characters have appeared. Yeah. Again, watch our uh, database. Please correct us. Well, he's busy with the baby. That's true. We can't <laughs> yeah. put that pressure on him now. Ted and Maddie got to step up their game a little bit here. Yeah. Um, but no, part one, it felt very, like, adult and heady. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it ended, the for the first part ended, and I had to, like, pause and reflect and just be like, what is happening? Yeah. There's a... Vandal Savage, that that was a big surprise. I did not expect to see Vandal Savage again this soon. I I may have mentioned that on our last episode about the yes. DCAU, though, which was like a month ago, so don't blame you for forgetting. And do you think I listen to you? <laughs> I, I know you just, don't. <laughs> I, I, hear, I hear keywords when you speak, Chris, and those keywords connect to other topics I have at the ready at all times. My arsenal of off-topic weaponry. Waiting for you to step on those landmines. <laughs> I avoid words like anime. Uh, yes, the word Roger or rabbit. You're lucky in twenty twenty. You're lucky in twenty twenty. Almost all anime was was paused. Oh, I was I of the many blessings that I tried to scrounge out of twenty twenty. That was very high on my list. So yes, you have episodes worth of cut content <laughs> of me just talking about anime. Oh, I'll always be appreciative for it. But yeah, it's these are weird episodes because like they are in their own way actually pretty grounded because like the you know the the bulk of this first episode especially is grounded grounded. They turn the ISS into a railgun, Chris. Notice I said the first episode <laughs> is actually fairly grounded. Okay, yeah, <laughs> because it primarily revolves around this friendship that develops between Wonder Woman and uh, Princess Audrey of Kaznia, who is. You know, I'd say, like, the, the typical sort of spoiled princess we see pop up in a lot of different kinds of fiction. Um, I, I thought they did a, a, a decent job of fleshing her out a little bit, but she also talks about yeah, how she it, is... Yeah, it's early 2000s, so it's definitely a Paris Hilton parody. Yes, yeah, that element is definitely there. Um, you know, and she is uh, due to get married to someone who we have not yet met as part of an arranged marriage, and we eventually come to find out that it's Vandal Savage, who claims to be the grandson of the original Vandal Savage, but anyone who knows the comics knows it's just Vandal Savage again. Yeah. Now, did you, you already knew, obviously you knew that Vandal Savage is immortal because you've seen Young Justice and other things like that. 
Mm-hmm. So I take it you knew immediately that it was, in fact, the same Vandal Savage from the Savage Time episodes. Yeah. And also, like, in the Savage Time episodes, Martian Manhunter saw both, like, past and future Savage in when they were in the 40s. And he looks the same. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't remember what their what their justification was. I don't think then they acknowledge any sort of idea that it was um, a descendant. He just makes some comment about how he ages very well. But like, it's the thing is, is that they they make it very clear very early on that this Vandal Savage is also evil. You know, even if you don't know that he's immortal, which you know, this show was my first intro to that character, and I, yeah. I don't recall but I would imagine that when I watched this, when it aired back in 2004, I think, that that would have been a twist I didn't see coming, that it was the same one and that he was, um, you know, an, an immortal being. But they make it pretty obvious right away that he's evil. I mean, let's just start with his wardrobe. He's wearing a full... He's wearing the Blofeld Nehru suit. Like, he is wearing the exact suit that Blofeld wears when he's introduced in You Only Live Twice. Like, the exact same shade of tan Nehru suit. Well, that is good to know. I would not have made that connection. But that's why I'm here, Cameron. Yes. Yes. That's why I have to watch my landmines. (laughs) Yes, avoid any words like uh, Bond or Nehru, and you're fine. Or pussy galore. Exactly. Those, Those very probable words that come up in everyday conversation just a conversation all the time yeah, yeah but like it's obvious that he's evil and one thing i did think was interesting is when wonder woman confronts him for the first time at the engagement party um she calls him a nazi war criminal and i thought that was interesting because if i recall they never actually used the word nazi in they didn't the yeah because we brought that up that they specifically yeah. went around not using the, the term because who what's the the team that has to decide like what is okay for the censors and what is not oh uh it's smp right standards and practices yeah yeah, yeah fcc mm-hmm. yeah you know maybe they just missed that one the, this is still the era where animators are doing everything they can to sneak anything past smp that's absolutely true i learned uh i have a quick quick early tangent for you our first tangent of 2021 <laughs> Because uh, I find it fascinating. I think I think I told you off air, but I wanted to share this with the rest of the world because I thought it was an interesting insight into especially 90s animation. Mm-hmm. Um, besides Simpsons back in the 90s, writers didn't want to work in animation at all. And so you had very much like B and C writers kind of begrudgingly working on all of these big cartoons back in the day. Really? They were obviously not big for for them. Yeah. And so because of that, writers never really, like, sent in polished scripts. They kind of just sent in broad ideas and sent it to the storyboarding team. Mm -hmm. And so that is why you had so many, like, sight and visual gags uh, is you basically had the storyboarders writing the story uh, for all these shows. And it wasn't until the late 90s, early 2000s when writers started coming in and really being, like, oh, we, you know, this is something that we can work with. This is a great medium for us. And writers came in and tried to take that power back from the storyboarders that they'd get had for a decade now. Mm-hmm. And still today, there's this like very big tension between writers and storyboarders 
of like who has true control over a show over an animated show huh uh yeah so when you're when you're like writing for animation you have to go or when you're like creating a show for animation you have to go in and be like is this a writer driven show or is this a storyboard driven show and it will completely change your like crew that you work with do the writers and storyboarders uh settle their disputes west side story style with uh, a big song and dance number yeah yeah well they snap <laughs> and it's really just who it, it's a snapping contest to see whose arthritis can outlast the other. <laughs> That's true. If the yeah. animators can beat the typers. Who's got worse carpal tunnel? Yes, that's <laughs> what I meant. Not arthritis, carpal tunnel. Now, in your uh, your your research on the, this very specific and very interesting, to be fair, aspect of uh, animation history, did they reference any particular shows that contributed towards the shift? back to a more writer space medium. Like for example, was Betos one of the shows referenced as helping lead that charge? Cause that was a very writer focused, uh, story driven show. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- there were no real specifics. I know a lot of people say Powerpuff Girls was the big shift back to writer driven. Interesting. Um, Powerpuff Girls was what? 2000? Uh, 99, 98, 99. Okay. I guess it's just interesting because I think about so many animated shows that, you know, came out a decade prior, including Beatos or even like Spider-Man animated series or um, a few others. Yeah, I I'm I feel like branded shows like that that already had, um, it, that already exist, existed in culture. I feel like they probably were in a different world. I think I'm thinking more like, the Ren and Stimpy's, the All Real Monsters, Hey Arnold, Rugrats, Dexter's Lab. Oh, uh, okay. I got yeah. it. The, the, the IP-driven shows at the time got a pass, whereas the original shows had to, to fight a little bit harder. Yeah, because also you have, like, pre-existing writers for those. You have people True. that already worked in the comics on Batman and Spider-Man and X-Men. Yeah. And Fantastic Four. No, a lot the, of people the, forget the Fantastic Four animated series. Well, I forget probably, about it. Probably for good reason. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that, I mean, that's interesting. And, you know, I guess you could say that you see that reflected in a lot of the, the DCAU, which um, I'd say never feels like it's sacrificing, you know, visual storytelling in any way. It's still a really heavily visual show. But, you know, often we think about the writing as being such a key part in making all this sort of stuff come together. Mm-hmm. When I said that this one felt grounded, you know, it the bulk of it really does focus on kind of two main relationships. So one is Wonder Woman and Princess Audrey, and the other one is Wonder Woman and Batman. And also, this episode is interesting because it's the first time we see Bruce Wayne in yeah. Justice League. Um, you know, definitely playing into his jet-setting international playboy uh, persona. But I, I really... I agree with you that I think ultimately the episodes go in weird directions, but the first few minutes of this, that kind of extended gala sequence, uh, I really enjoy kind of how that all plays out. Like seeing Wonder Woman just being Diana uh, attempting to live a quote unquote normal life. Now by normal, it's still the life of a celebrity, um, but not an intended celebrity in say the way that Princess Audrey leans into it. She's just trying to like broaden her horizons and see more of the world. Yeah, the, there's two moments that I loved in connection to that. It's when Diana and Audrey are out clubbing and uh, 
Wonder Woman's like, oh, there's a line. Like, we're never going to get in. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'll get us in. And the bouncer just, like, completely ignores the princess. And like, oh, it's Wonder Woman. Like, it's she's famous. I mean, yeah. Uh, if you see Wonder Woman, you're like, please, your highness, go ahead. Well, yeah, and also, what are you going to do? Yeah, like, <laughs> as a bouncer, that is just, like, the ultimate, like, I am not going to try and stop you they don't pay me nearly enough to try and stop you from coming in here yeah so just like get in don't worry about it and one of the things that this episode does is it does highlight how different one woman how much she stands out a good example is that whenever she stands next to princess audrey she is a good like foot and a half taller than her which makes sense because one woman as an amazon is like well over six two i mean i think there are some versions that are taller than superman even or or batman Mm -hmm. But I yeah I think when when she's with Bruce I think she's taller than Bruce I think she is yeah and you don't notice that when she's amongst all the other heroes who are all like you know or when he has his ears when he's got his ears which is just a cheating especially in Justice League that has a good like four or five inches when he met Superman and Wonder Woman do you think Batman extended his ears so he could be slightly taller than them I. I think he did, actually, because the very first time we see him in Secret Origins, he is visiting a Star Labs base in Metropolis, and I bet you he brought out his specifically taller cowl, knowing he was going to be probably running into Superman. Yeah, his Metropolis suit is just slightly... (laughs) It makes him look a little bulkier. Yeah, exactly. It has a little bit of extra padding in the shoulders. Uh, You know, the the heel and the boot is just a tiny little bit taller. The ears are a little bit taller. Because, I mean, we all know that Bruce is that kind of petty and would put that much level of preparation. And also, Alfred would happily, like, build that for him. Oh, yeah. I mean, Alfred will do anything he can to uh, temper Bruce's ego. But at the end of the day, he's an enabler. Yeah. So, so I'm trying to imagine, like, if Bruce is, ha- if, like, Bruce is having a bad day, he'll, like, switch out the the healed boots or the non-healed boots with the healed boots. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, Oh, I feel, I feel taller. I feel stiff and strong. And Oh, Alfred, bless your heart. He does everything he can. What evil have you ultimately wrought on this world by accommodating Bruce Wayne too much? But yeah, like it's fun to see Diana attempt to be in the real world. I really love that sequence when Bruce as Bruce shows up, to the party and it's like oh can i have this dance and whisks her away from all the paparazzi we haven't seen bruce in full-on bruce mode in a while at this point and it was Mm -hmm. fun to see him be his you know very much switched on charming self and you know just very casually very comfortably flirting with a little amazon yeah and and that that's one of the other scenes that i loved is seeing bruce Still as Bruce, because he's, what what country are they in when they're at the dance? Is that they're Kasnia? They're in Paris. They're not yet in Kasnia. They're in Paris. Paris. Okay. Uh, is, is the shot where Diane is on the phone with Batman, and it's Bruce in his hotel room, just on a laptop. And I'm like, yeah, you don't get the back computer this time. You no. You have to deal with hotel Wi-Fi. I, I, I mean, you know he brought his own like special satellite driven wi-fi with oh him. yeah he, he has his own router he yeah. has the bat router <laughs> he's got his bat router also i i mean again it's been a while since we've seen bruce as bruce but th- this is maybe the sexiest i've seen bruce and again i'll just the fully, one like up in the chair i'll fully acknowledge how weird it is that i'm sexually attracted to a cartoon character i don't care uh but like him in his 
you know, he's still in his, uh, like his tuxedo shirt, but you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the collar's undone and the sleeves are rolled up and it's like, it's like casual formal Bruce, just like sitting there also doing his Batman voice, just, you know, oh, I'm actually Batman, but I'm just like sitting here looking cool as a fucking cucumber. It definitely did it for me. I have to say, Hey, you know, whatever works for you, you know. <laughs> We're nine months into quarantine, and you you gotta you gotta find love where you can. Exactly, wherever I can find bits of excitement, I'll take it. Yeah, but you know, I I really like the flirtation they have um, between the two of them, and that you know that Wonder Woman is definitely charmed by Bruce, and certainly the the final button on the final episode shows that by the end of this, Wonder Woman already knows who Batman is. But it, it, you kind of get the feeling like she already knew even when they were doing their dance there. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, even like so while they're doing their dance, it's interrupted because um, members of I get what would you call them? Nationalists? Uh, well, terrorists? I mean, I mean they're, no, they're I think they're actual Kazian military. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, the Kazian military comes in and tries to kidnap Princess Audrey and mm-hmm. they both both Diana and bruce split and do the is like oh i need to go to the bathroom uh and diana goes and stops them and you see bruce like about to change into the bat suit and just kind of looks back and he's like eh, she's got it she, she's got it yeah he just like sits back and like grabs a, a bonbon off the table what is he gonna do that moment that wonder woman can't mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, no, it was that whole sequence I really like. Like seeing her attempt to be in a slightly normal um, atmosphere, being overwhelmed by it, seeing Bruce come to the rescue, and then see her still jump in and be a full on hero. And, you know, just that her solution when a fight breaks out is just like to tear off the bottom of her dress so she has a little more flexibility. And then just go to town, beat the crap out of these guys. She's still got her bracelets on, so she's good to go. Yeah. I, I I really like all of that, and I and I like then how the dynamic with Princess Audrey continues to play out because she's, you know, kind of overwhelmed that this happened and surprised, but you know, very appreciative of Wonder Woman is there to help, but then kind of, kind of decides to take advantage of her to some degree by being like, hey, why don't you come with me and let's go party and you can be my bodyguard, but you also get the sense that at the end of the day, like this is you know a a kind of bored, lonely young woman who has found someone who is fun to be around and exciting and you know her intentions are yeah maybe not the best but she also clearly just wants to be diana's friend and it's fun to see her yeah, i i would do that i i would argue I, I i agree with that point but i would argue the point where you say that she's overwhelmed she seems so casual about all of this like when she's on the phone with her dad especially the king it it's like from her tone it's like it's just another day of being a princess yep. i guess i have to deal with people trying to kidnap me again <laughs> it's like it's it's a bore honestly at this point like i just want to go and have fun and i have these guys trying to ransom me for millions of dollars yeah. like daddy just pay them i want to go out it's just a tuesday yeah I can, I think that is like where the Paris Hilton influence comes in. Like that's where I felt very Hilton esque. Yeah, it's definitely there in the characterization. Mm-hmm. I feel like at least they give her enough enough depth and background to make her a little bit more likable than you know just a, a parody of that kind of figure. Yeah, you wouldn't see Paris Hilton throw herself off the Empire State Building. Nope, wrong one. Eiffel Tower. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, look, she's Princess Audrey is definitely reckless. You know, she traps her own security inside the limo to then do what I thought was a pretty clever, like, switcheroo, jumping into one cab, throwing a bunch of money at him, and racing off and jumping into another one. Pretty clever. Yeah. She knows what she's doing. Also, I love that yeah, the... Yeah, it's not her uh, first time escaping security. No, definitely not. And I love that the Parisian cabs were definitely based off of, uh, like, classic Citroëns, which just made me happy as, you know, as a car person. Citroëns? It's a car company, Citroën. You know, in Back to the Future 2, the cabs, the yellow cabs of the future. Yes. Those are vintage Citroëns from the 1970s, 1980s or something like that. It's it's a very iconic French car. Okay. <laughs> are you are you feeling like lost and and confused by this random tangent I'm going on? No. No, I'm I'm just happy that you get to you get to get this out of your system. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Cameron. Very generous yeah. of you. <laughs> yeah, so like we, we kind of figure out that there is something nefarious going on while all of this uh, you know, fun shenanigans are happening with Diana and Audrey and that the Kazian military is also trying to steal a, a piece of weapons tech. Um, and it may have something to do with Kazania's contribution to the International Space Station. Um which, when we finally see it, looks nothing like the actual International Space Station. No, it looks like, um, what's the ship in the opening of Episode 4? The Tantive 4? Princess Leia's ship? Well, actually, it's not Princess Leia's ship. It's Captain Antilles' ship. Um, yes. Not Wedge Antilles, it's a different Captain Antilles. But the, uh, yes, course. the ship itself is called the Tantive 4. It looks like that. Yes, it does. <laughs> It kind of does look like that. Like, and this is coming from not a Star Wars fan. I need to say up front, I'm not a Star Wars fan. Yeah. Well, you, you are a Star Wars fan, but you're, you're a casual Star not Wars fan. Not a fan. Nope. Not a fan. Are you just trying to distance yourself from that fandom as much as possible? I, I have had so many conversations over the past month where I've had to explain that I'm not a Star Wars fan <laughs> because of like people like you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I am a a, a well-read Star Wars fan. Yes, you know? you're well-versed in, in the, the lore of the stars. Yes. But, you know, I, I'm not also one of... Let's not paint me as one of those Star Wars fans that feels like Star Wars <laughs> owes me anything. Like, I'm allowed no, to... No, no, no. Yeah, I, I don't mean to paint you in, yeah. in that kind of corner. No, I, I mean, like, from my appearance... And I enjoy Star Wars. Yeah. But I'm not a fan. I mean, you actually have Star Wars posters. Even I don't have that. I was going to say, from my appearance and the look of my apartment, <laughs> with my Stormtrooper helmet, my Poe Dameron X-Wing helmet, yeah. the original poster trilogy, the blanket that I got from the 24-hour marathon. <laughs> but no, not a Star Wars fan at all. Not a fan. Not a fan. Not a fan. No. They just have great merchandise. No. It's not my fault that their merchandise is so good. <laughs> Yeah, but it, it, it's really just showing that everyone else. Oh, and then the concept art, which is the opening and closing scene of episode four. Yeah. Hanging next to my bed. I'm but not again, a fan. Not, not a fan. Not a fan at all. Not a fan. Um, but yeah, that, that space station, like, I guess uh, it, it seems interesting they would have called it the International Space Station because certainly when this was made in the early 2000s, the ISS was a huge deal. Like, it was actively yeah. um, under construction, it was definitely part of the cultural zeitgeist. I feel like they used that name specifically because it conveys the concept most effectively. Like it has 
all the necessary words. It's an international space station, right? As a space station, it is part of an international collaboration. I don't think that they called it that to reference the real thing itself because it is so different than the actual. Oh, is there not ISS. a railgun in our international space station? I mean, look, there's not might a technically be, just, a railgun. That's actually a coil gun, as I, I, as I googled it. It is. It is a coil gun. It's not a railgun. Look, it's totally yeah. possible there is one up there. So we yeah. don't know. We don't know. We've never been. I've never been. Yeah. Maybe when Richard Branson finally opens his company up, we can go. We can go up there and inspect the quail gun ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. But so, you know, all of this is going on. The, the blatant nefarious work from Vandal Savage and uh, his henchman, Colonel Vox, who has that fantastic. Who's not Black Bolt. Who's not Black Bolt, though he essentially has the exact same power set. I, I meant to look to see if he was an actual character from the comics. I, I Google, I don't believe he is. He, he's, he's kind of an interesting idea. I mean, he's just this very kind of generic looking colonel, except for the fact that he has this bright white um, neck color. It almost looks like a neck brace as if, you know, yeah. you, know you, you hurt yourself in an accident and wearing a neck brace, which, you know, oh, here we go. He's loosely based on Vox, the bionic bandit who made his first and only appearance in Metal Men Volume 1, number 51, April to May of 1977. After suffering a severe accident, leaving him with a mangled throat, the man later known as Vox is implanted with a apparatus that restored his ability to speak. That device was uh, enabled him to project a deadly sonic scream. So there we go. It is a character from the comics. Okay. There's also but another a, Vox. There is another Vox. Really? The Herald. What? Malcolm Arnold Mal Duncan, currently known as Vox also known as Guardian, Hornblower, and the Herald. Oh, okay. I guess I just know him as Guardian from Young Justice. Oh, I know him as Herald because of Teen Titans. <laughs> oh, well, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> the irony there, of course, being me being the slightly older one, you would have thought I would have known him from the older show. But no, you, you are definitely the, uh, the Teen Titans fan of the two of us. So. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, Titans Talk is coming, coming to a podcast <laughs> near you. Don't worry. <laughs> But, like, again, you talk about obvious signs that people are villains. You got uh, Vandal Savage, which his name alone does all the work. But then you throw him in a Nehru yeah. suit. It's pretty clear he's a bad guy. Hi, when... I, I, went to a, I went to high school with a family of savages. Cameron, that's not very nice to say. I'm sure they were lovely people. They were rich. <laughs> <laughs> Infer what you will from that. Yes. Uh, it, it was uh, a trio or four. There were, I think, there were four brothers that all went to all went to the high school together. The savages, the savages. Yeah. Well, look, as as someone with, I'll call it what it is, an epic last name, I can yes. very much vouch for the a fact pompous that last name, the the most pompous last name possible. I will vouch for the fact that it definitely goes to your head uh, and contributes to your ego. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I have no doubt. Yeah, it, it, it accounts for about 70% of my ego is just my last name alone. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry, but for good reason. Good reason. And you are now officially a lord. Yes, I am, in fact. Yes, as if my my uh, big old ego didn't need it enough because of you, Cameron. I'm now lord, lord. So Yes, you're, you're welcome. Kneel before me, my serfs. The, the power that I've granted. <laughs> Definitely didn't need it, but very much appreciate it. Mm -hmm. 
But yeah, so there, something nefarious is happening here um, having to do with the, the space station. And uh, Savage really doesn't waste any time in getting straight to his, his evil plot because he has the king poisoned and ultimately left paralyzed, which I wasn't entirely certain what his endgame there was because you feel like Savage would have waited until after he was married to do that presuming that would make a power grab that much easier. But I guess the point of poisoning the king was to force Princess Audrey to get married sooner. Is that, is that how you interpreted his choice there? I, yes. Yeah. Like I said, there's, there's a lot of story they're setting up here and they're kind of vague about all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. My, my thought was, cause I thought he just straight up killed the king, but he can't cause it's a kid show. Yeah. Um, so he poisons the king to speed up the wedding mm-hmm. and get her in power. So in turn, he will be in power. Yeah, I, I guess that's basically his his game. But there. he already has everyone in his pocket. Like he already has the entire military. Like he he didn't even need the wedding at that point anymore. He He's already basically the leader. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he controlled the military like he he has this sort of ambiguous role as a king's advisor. He, he kind of comes off a little bit like a Jafar in this situation. Yes, he, he's very much Jafar. Yeah, and I you can kind of see that when they approach the writing on this, and it is worth acknowledging that it was written by Dwayne McDuffie, who, you know, always does really good work. And, I, and I'm not necessarily laying, laying the blame here on him for it maybe being a, a slightly odd episode in its structure. But you can tell that they were... They probably want to build an episode around Vandal Savage. And for good reason. He is a really good villain. Um, and his, I'd say his best appearance hasn't even happened yet, which I'm very much looking forward to. Um, but he's a great villain. And I think I think they basically just decided to essentially make him a Bond villain. That is, like, this episode story arc plays out like very similar Bond plots of past. You know, there's definitely elements of Diamonds Are Forever, um, with like a you know a space based weapon which die on the day and then ripped off, but that's essentially what he's doing here, right? He's like usurping a a, a foreign power, using their military to become like a, a global dictator. I mean, it's it's classic. Yeah. I mean, Princess Audrey is a Bond girl. She is a Bond girl. Yeah, I mean, and, and maybe that's the reason I was kind of forgiving, if you will, of these episodes. Was uh, yeah, anytime. There's a, a hint of Bond in something. I'm I'm here for it, and yeah, that's basically what this this two part episode is like. It's a a Bond caper, more or less, a Bond plot, and at the center is Wonder Woman and Batman, kind of in a Bond esque sort of role. Like he's primarily doing um, a lot of background investigating. You know, he even puts on a disguise. The disguise, of course, being Bruce, that persona, but. Mm-hmm. It's just a Bond film. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's why I felt so isolated by it because <laughs> I've not seen enough Bond films. Cameron, we can fix that. You know, here's what we'll do: we're gonna take a uh, 25 week break from DCAU and just do every single Bond film. If <laughs> you. <laughs> I'm trying to think, because I already had you try and watch Hero Academia, and you didn't like it. No, I, I just can't do it. Can't do it. Yeah, and, and that's 
I, I don't know if there's another show I can like try and sway you over with. Full Metal. Full Metal's pretty good. It's, oh, wait. I, I wasn't proposing a barter system where we both watch things that we haven't you know, experienced and our, our co-host is super passionate about. This is me exerting my executive power as a lord. As a lord lord here. Oh, oh I didn't realize it's, it's this relationship. Yeah, now. I'm completely derailing the podcast to be what I want it to be, which is a James Bond podcast. Yeah. Yeah, well... You have other friends for that. I mean, who could have seen this coming? It escalated just slowly over four years, Cameron. Who could have guessed? <laughs> who? All these promises of Titan talk. Uh-huh. Nope. That was just to lure me into this false sense of security. Welcome to episode one of Bond Bros. Oh, no. I hate it. <laughs> uh- I can talk about exactly... Two and a third of them. Well, there you go. That's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's not yeah. bad. No, it's three three and a third. It's pretty good. Yeah. I we watched Spectre together. Yeah. Scepter. Spectre. Actually, no, we didn't watch Spectre together. Did we not? No, because I I saw it at a, a a slight slightly previewed screening um with our friend Kira when it came out in 2015, and then I saw it for a second time uh, back home with my family. So. 20, it came out in 2015. It's been five years since a Bond film. This is Dick oh, Cameron. You have opened up some uh, a Pandora's box here. This will be tied with. I, I would have to check the actual dates, but tied with the long, the other longest stretch between Bond films, which was between License to Kill in '89 and Goldeneye in '95. By the time this new movie comes but, out, it'll have been six years since the last Bond film. Yeah, that that feels so. So I watched a Bond film before I even knew you. Shocking. I mean, I watched I watched uh, Casino Royale because well, it's the best one. Because it's a masterpiece, yeah. 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 Yeah, six that, years. That feels so weird. I, I feel like I have, like, a memory in my head of watching it with you and Shane. Nope. Because I remember, like, walking out and you guys not liking it. But that could just be the ample conversation that I've had to sit through of both of you saying how much you don't like specter or it could just be any number of other movies that we go see as a trio and you love it because you love all things and shane and i don't because you tend to love bad things yes yes long long list of films it could have possibly been um alita no i didn't see alita with you either i know but i loved alita (laughs) well someone had to yes yeah but so yeah the king gets poisoned um audrey takes the throne and uh, basically insists that they get married right away to um, give the people a sense of continuity. Um, And it's basically, that's kind of the cliffhanger. It's like the scene prior to that is Wonder Woman gets uh, knocked down mid-flight by Colonel Vox and his his big sonic box. Um, But the actual cliffhanger button is that they're going to get married. Pretty weak. It's probably the yeah. weakest cliffhanger we've had yet. Like, there's really nothing there to lead you into the next episode in any sort of exciting way. Yeah, I think I think the because they because there's another scene that we kind of glanced over, and that's when the the um, the spaceship, not the spaceship, the fucking. I can't think of any words right now. When the astronauts make uh, it to the space station. That's right. Yeah, the, the and, Cosnian astronauts in the space shuttle 
board the International Space Station and pull a bunch of laser rifles and hold the satellite at gunpoint, at hostage. Yeah, I think that may have been a better cliffhanger. Yeah, I guess that's why I felt so weird, because like they're setting up the wedding, they're setting up Diana doing her thing with Batman, they're setting up the space station, which we don't really know anything about yet, and then there's Savage... Uh, who we kind of know what's going on, but they're like so. There's no specifics for us to like latch onto. Yeah, and and this feels one where viewed continuously, which is essentially how I did it. There was really no pause in between episodes. It works a little bit better when you just play it all the way through. And you know, we've talked about before that in season two, that was a, a very deliberate move on their part was to treat them less like individualized episodes, considering that starting in season two, they just played them back to back rather than having a week in between. Um, yeah. And, and that's how most syndicated versions of it did yeah. as well. And, and we've had some really good um, cliffhangers so far this season. Like I even think about the, the season one or season two premiere twilight has a really good pause in between, or even our last episode we discussed only a dream has a really nice, um, cliffhanger in between whereas this one this one is definitely just one long continuous story and pretty much all part one is set up and i actually i i liked most of what was going on in terms of the setup i just don't know by the time we got to episode two if the payoff was the best and i feel like maybe some of the storytelling fell apart a little bit in story two i don't know what do you think yeah they uh they turned the space station into a rail gun chris (laughs) Um, and I really, in mislabeling it as a rail gun when it's a coil gun, clearly so visually a coil gun. I mean, there were two long rails down the sides of the coils. Yeah. But as someone who they had rail guns in like Halo, didn't they? Uh, wasn't there the one that like they, they had like, yeah, they, they had, oh. Okay, they had what is referred to as the Mac cannons, the magnetic accelerator cannons um, installed in either, usually one or two of them per uh, U.S. battleship. I also know a lot about the Halo cannon. I've read some of the books. They're really good, actually. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I only bring it up because I knew that would be the, the point of a first-person shooter that you would know. Yeah. Because I, I know nothing about first-person shooters. But you never use a, a rail gun as a handheld weapon at any point in Halo. Okay. It's only part of the capital ships. Okay. I also don't know enough about rail guns to, like, fully understand, but I I, 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 I don't I don't get it. Wait, so, okay. So you don't, you don't really know that much about rail guns, especially as how they differentiate from coil guns, yet it really bothered you that this was labeled. It really bothered me because for, for my history with rail guns, be as minimal as it is, <laughs> is, is they're almost like lasers. Not, not just a, you know, not taking a, a space rock and turning it into a, a, a high-speed bullet. Well, isn't that still what a railgun does? Doesn't a railgun just a- accelerate a mass to a really high speed? I thought speed? it was a laser. I thought it was a laser. No, I'm pretty sure it does the same thing. What is a railgun? <laughs> God damn it. Welcome to railgun talk. Yeah, I, I guess. What am I, I? I must be thinking of a different weapon. 
Look, that my, was in another game that may have just also been called a railgun. It possibly could have. My my understanding is that a railgun and a quail gun essentially do the same thing. It's just the actual mechanism is a little bit different. Where a, a coil gun is, you know, like a series of coils, whereas a rail gun is like two rails on either side of the projectile that magnetically accelerate something. Yeah. And even then, I'm probably wrong. I don't know. But no, I mean, yeah, I, I just Googled both. And that, that visually is, is pretty much, yeah, the only big difference. Yeah. So the, the space station, and I feel like maybe it would have been a little bit more plausible if it was just Kaznia had built a space station. You kind of feel like the insane level of, you know, international bureaucracy that goes into building things like a space station. There would have been some level of oversight. Someone would have gone, oh, wait, are you, are you trying to hide a coil gun in your yeah, payload? Yeah, and, and they, there's a few small references in part one and I think the beginning of part two where Wonder Woman makes like a side comment about Cosnia's like weapons treaty and how they like broke what broke some treaty and are in trouble and like that feels like it should be important somewhere in this yeah some important thing to mention that maybe the that nation has a a slightly unscrupulous background in international weapons dealing yeah that might yeah be... and and we also we also know the watchtower exists. So like the technology for space uh, stations isn't like impossible to get. So if it's Cosnia, like making their own extension to the space station and, you know, they'd been up there for a while and it wasn't that these were the first astronauts they had to get there. I think maybe having some kind of conversation about that. I I think, I mean, we're, we're, we're poking holes in an already flimsy plot, but I think the idea is that <laughs> the, you know, the Kaznians had already been contributing to the space station. I'm sure they'd been up there before. Um, you know, I mean, they're, they're advanced enough to have a, their own space shuttle, which is something that no other nation has ever achieved. The Russians actually did have their version of a space shuttle, um, but it was such a disastrous failure that they ended up uh, scrapping the second one they built out in like the, the Kazakhstan desert. I know because I actually have a, a family friend that saw it once, which is pretty cool. Ooh. Um, but yeah, like no other nation has achieved that. Now, obviously we're talking a, a heightened technological world here in the DCAU where, you know, space travel I think is a little bit more readily available and accessible because the technology is more advanced. But it is worth, it was interesting to see that their use of like uh, space shuttles and boosters and the International Space Station were definitely more advanced than, you know, the reality of space travel at that time. But they're still not as advanced as what Bruce is using at the Watchtower. Right. Which I, th- I thought that was actually a, a clever line for them to walk. The idea that, you know, the, this whole world is more technologically advanced, but it's not that same level as I think what Wayne Tech, LexCore, and Star Labs is putting out. And I think it's fair to say, I don't know if it's ever stated specifically, but we can kind of assume that the Watchtower was built by Wayne Tech in combination with Star Labs. Oh, yeah, most likely. I mean, if, if anything... And, and I also think oh, go ahead. Go, going along with those those three companies are also the three companies that, like, accept Alien Tech. Yeah, exactly. And, and Chris, this isn't the, the fucking 
intergalactic space stations, the International <laughs> Space Station. Well, no, the, the Intergalactic Space These Station. These are Earth products yeah. made on Earth. The Intergalactic Space Station is the Watchtower. So, yeah. Yeah. But yes, I mean, they... I just I just want like when we have alien contact to have the same like crazy diehard American attitude of like these are American products to like translate over to like these are Earth products, these are Terran products. Yeah, that's that's it's inevitably... like I'm not having any any Martian tech in my car. That's inevitably going to happen. Um, yeah. But yeah, so while this is going on, Batman and Wonder Woman try to basically siege, well, not siege Cosnia, but you break into Cosnia to stop princess audrey's wedding um and i I thought this was kind of clever that they have that scene of batman in the batwing fighting with um the cosnian air force and then one on the ground fighting with the military and all that is silent and the voiceover is the audio from the wedding yes the vows yeah it's it's kind of a nice um it's a nice contrast i thought that that sequence played really well actually Mm mm-hmm no, yeah, it was beautiful. And then it's ended abruptly when Vandal Savage just zaps Wonder Woman. Yeah, because, of course, you have to have that moment of, you know, uh, if anyone objects, speak now or forever hold your peace. And then Wonder Woman throws a tank through the side of the chapel and, and busts in. And then Vandal just, you know, super cool select, just pops a, a, a ray gun out of his wrist and, and zaps her. It did It did feel odd. Is it a ray gun, though? The, it's kind of a ray gun. It's like an electric zapping gun. I, I, Whatever, I, yeah, Cameron. <laughs> it did feel kind of weird, though, that given all that's going on, they're having essentially a normal wedding and a normal reception. Now, it's it's a very pared-down wedding. I imagine it's not quite the, the massive fanfare that you would have had under other circumstances, especially from Princess Audrey. But they still have a fucking reception. And you kind of feel yeah. like this would be... One of those, like, um, very much rushed, we're doing this at a political necessity sort of weddings. The, the pomp and circumstance will follow later. Like, beyond the fact that Wonder Woman has just broken into the wedding and Princess Audrey didn't really react to Vandal zapping her, her dad is also, like, paralyzed and unconscious in a hospital. You feel like they might have been a little bit more subdued in their proceedings. Yeah. And and also there's another throwaway line in the first in the first part where she mentions that while on an international stage everyone is like applauding her dad, but in Cosnia, like people hate the royals right now. Yeah. Because they've spent all of the all of their money on space shit. Yeah. On a space railgun <laughs> slash coil gun. Slash coil gun. <laughs> um it's so like, hey, maybe you should like deal with your people possibly who also may have just blown up from the rail coil gun because <laughs> well i know we're going to get to it in a second but like the blast was supposed to blow up paris and they just move it to cosnia which is also a city also has residents that we know about yeah they and i know we only see it blow up the the castle was like, were they just going to blow up the Eiffel Tower and, like, that's going to ruin Paris? I mean, it kind of would. The Louvre? What, what, what is his specific target if it's only going to blow up a specific building? Do you go for the Louvre, the Tower, the Arc de Triomphe? I mean, those are all in pretty close proximity to each other. Yes. 
just a few miles. <laughs> yeah, they're all within a few miles of each other. Or, uh, you know, but I, compared to Kazni, where the, the palace does seem to be, like, out in the middle of farmland. Like, there's, like, nothing around it whatsoever. It's not the dead center of the city, necessarily. But it's also yeah. maybe not the best call on Batman's part to redirect the cannon there. Um, yeah, instead of just, like, the ocean. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, to your point, like, Vandal just goes, you know, he, he finally goes full Bond villain. He puts out, like, a an international address saying that, you know, he's essentially holding the world hostage with this this gun. And he, he tests it out by launching it near a, uh, a American carrier fleet out in the ocean, um, which, you know, splits the, the ship open. But we see, you know, a bunch of sailors in life jackets surface the water. So no one died, clearly. Except all that paperwork. Yeah. Because they didn't show a single thing in the water besides paper. That's true. <laughs> Don't worry. We, we, we saved all the files. We're fine. You know, but he, he's full on Bond villain at that point. And then that's when uh, at the Watchtower, Flash finally gets the message that shit's going down. And so he and the Johns, uh, Stuart and Jones, go to take out the space station while Batman and Wonder Woman keep fighting down on the, the, the planet. Um, and from there, it just kind of becomes a romp right it just becomes like an adventure romp basically like well i i think how each of them plan on stopping the railgun is fascinating because okay. they all have different experiences with vandal mm-hmm. and john uh gl especially i feel like is the most hurt of the three of them where he's like we need to stop vandal at all costs let's just blow it up yeah and it's like but there's still people aboard <clears throat> And he basically says, like, they know what they signed up. You know, it's very military thinking. Yeah. They know what they signed up for. They're willing to make the sacrifice. And, I'm like, that is so, like, it's so much, you know, that's very, not even Batman thinking. That That is beyond dark for what these heroes normally do. Well, you know, one one casualty is too much for a lot of them. And I think, but I think that does speak to John's, character and his characterization right because he and batman share a similar philosophy of like do what is ever whatever is necessary to get the job done yeah but batman despite having all of his his colleagues and and partners still mostly thinks and operates as an individual so yeah batman's choice is always to make the self-sacrificial play because he has to do the job by himself john having been in the military and now being part of the green lantern corps thinks more as one piece of a larger unit. And mm-hmm. I think as a result, recognizes that casualties can sometimes be an inevitable, though unfortunate, cost of getting the job done. So I I, I agree with you. It, it was interesting. They approached it from different perspectives, and it was Flash having to be the kind of the voice of conscience, being like, no, no, we're going to save everybody. Um, but I, I get where, I get why Jon Stewart would look at it that way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and Flash also being that voice because he's never been in a situation where he hasn't been able to save everybody. Yeah. I mean, cause he can, he, he can always get it done, right? He can always run fast enough to do what he has to yeah. do. Except when it was John in the past. Well, yeah, <laughs> they all have their failures. Okay. <laughs> but you know, I mean, I, I remember actually this episode quite a bit, not because I saw it a bunch, but because um, when these were airing on Toonami, they pulled a lot of action clips from this episode to include in their promos. You know, so it's whenever the, like that Toonami robot, whatever his name is, 
Um, Tom, you fucking monster. His name is Tom, I'm, and he's a saint. I'm so sorry I forgot that really blatant name choice on the part of Tom Nami. <laughs> Whatever his fucking name was. When he would say things like, all right, now back to Justice League, and then they would show you know clips of what it would often be um, like that shot of Batman when he's getting shot at down in the uh, the bunker in the Cosnian palace. Oh, and he just like runs past all the bullets? Yeah, he's just like the serpentine pattern that like jumps and leaps. Or the, the one they showed a lot, which I thought was a pretty cool move, was when Martian Manhunter, like his torso like extends and like yeah. snakes away from the lasers. Like it was fun to see him finally utilizing his powers. That that was the highlight of the episode for yeah. me. No, it's, it's a cool move and I can see why they chose to use it a lot in the promos. But I remember that shot really distinctively. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's basically like at that point, the those three are up at the, the station, space station taking it out while on the ground. Wonder Woman is uh, fighting with, with Vandal. Um, and yeah, like you said, Batman's ultimate solution is because he can't stop the railgun, as they call it. He just redirects it to blow up the palace instead. Um, and then Batman just jumps on the megaphone, like the, the speaker, and just says in Cosnia, like, get the fuck out. Yeah, so this, this also shows that the third, fourth language that Batman can now speak. Mm-hmm. On top of Spanish, Japanese, and English. Yeah, he's Batman. Of course, he can. Yeah, I mean, we, we how how quickly do you think he started to learn Martian after he met Martian Manhunter? Ooh, that is, well. The interesting thing is, knowing that it's Batman, he would never just directly ask. Oh no, he would never. He would absolutely never. So, I feel like instead he would just occasionally drop hints to try and get John to talk about his home world to try and pick up bits of languages. Yeah. Like, you you know for a fact he broke into the computer system on Superman's ship and has downloaded Kryptonian. Oh, he definitely knows Kryptonian. Yeah. Uh, so there, there's one other moment on the space station that I, that I loved and also, like, shows the lack the laxness of flash mm-hmm. is he's pulled out into the vacuum of space gl has to go save him and he's brought back in and then we finally see flash like all right yeah i'm gonna fucking get these guys he's pissed and just take out everybody mm-hmm. in a second it's fun it's fun to see him lose it a little bit yeah and i think that also shows like he wants to be a team player sometimes and so he slows himself down so other people have things to hit because he knows how cathartic it is for everybody else yeah he he does like to uplift people yeah yeah he's like i'm gonna i'm gonna take these two and i'll take my time i'm not gonna actually throw a punch you guys can have those eight (laughs) and we'll all just have our fun look we did it all together yeah yeah as a team as a team I could have yeah, done so this then, already, but Batman told me I'm not allowed to. <laughs> you know, he just wants the others to feel good about themselves. He's a, yeah. he's a good guy. Look, I saw Batman spend all night last night working on this plan, and like I could have run in and done it then, but he's like, no, this is Batman needs this. He needs it. He needs a little bit. I don't know who this guy really is, but he seems to have a lot of problems. He needs a little bit of a boost here and there. Yeah. He's got a dark side, obviously. Like, could you imagine if those two actually had like were friends and teamed up, how quickly they could save the world? What, Batman and Flash? Like, okay. Yeah. Because ba- Batman is, you know, the ultimate planner. So if he writes the plan for Flash to follow, 
and both of them are just okay with that team up, they'd be unstoppable. I I do agree with you, but it, that would never happen because one, Batman would never defer to letting someone else do the mission on his behalf, and two, the Flash would never actually stick to the plan. I know. But yeah, so they they redirect the asteroid so that it blows up the uh, the Cosmian Palace, and of course everyone gets out except for Vandal. And oh, maybe he's dead, but no, he like breaks through the rubble. Um, and oh man, that was eerie. It is because we saw that he had a, a a hint of a healing factor before, and so because this version of Vandal has essentially the same origin as the one in the comics, which is that he mm-hmm. was uh, because I don't know the the specific breakdown of genus, we'll just call him a caveman like 25,000 years ago. And he came across uh, a, a meteor that he slept next to and it imbued him with immortality in the comics. He um, can still die. He doesn't have regenerative aspect. So uh, apparently in the comics far creepier thing actually is that he has basically just harvested organs from his descendants to stay alive. Yeah. He has an army of children. Yeah. And he's created a cult. Because that, that's kind of what you see in season four of Young Justice. Yeah. That element's in there a little bit. It's, Whereas in this, he's just he has a, a Wolverine-style healing factor, so he can't be killed. So he, yeah, he breaks out the rebel, and he's still perfectly fine. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's a very creepy moment, because he, he has been mangled, and he's not completely reformed yet. So his limbs are at this kind of like weird angle, and his body's disproportioned, and it's, it's pretty grotesque. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you also see now, I guess, Queen Audrey um, see the error of her ways and arrest him and get control back of her people. Yeah. I mean, you know, overall, it has kind of um, like uh, kind of a nice sense of closure to it. I mean, they're going to leave Vandal to face his actions in Cosnia, and, and Audrey's made it perfectly clear that he's going to you know, suffer for what he's done. Um, but you know, yeah, very dark words from your new queen of you hear someone say, you can't kill me. And she say, we'll see about that. Well, you know, she, like, that's, <laughs> she smiled though. Pretty when she dark said for a queen. So, you know, it, oh, okay. Cause she smiled. It's okay. Yeah. Now. You know, there, there was a, a wry sense of humor there as she, she threatened to torture this man for eternity. But I mean, yeah. he did poison her father and try and take over her country and kill her. And no, no, I'm not saying that he didn't, he doesn't deserve yeah. it. I'm just saying that she's on the public stage with her people and they hear her say that we're going to. It's not a public stage. They're like outside the wreckage of the castle. And it's like Wonder Woman, Batman and Vandal are there. And two guards. Okay. Those are the people. That's not the weirdest thing those guards have seen. Let's be perfectly honest. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, like clearly she is going to try and like take Constia going forward. Um, But the the very final button, which we referenced earlier, about Wonder Woman coming up to Batman and saying, you know, we, we have to finish our dance. And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. That is probably one of my favorite buttons in all of Justice League. That was a good one, yeah. It just, their, their dynamic is really sweet because it is, I don't know, it's playful and it's flirtatious and it, it ultimately doesn't get the same kind of... Um, story arc that john and shaira do and hot girl do um but i don't know it's it honestly it's just fun to see like two like really cool smart capable attractive people just flirting a bunch yeah you know we don't get enough of that on anywhere else in tv so or film 
Yeah, definitely not on CW. <laughs> definitely not there. But no, I, I really like that little moment there. Just, you know, he he knows she knows, but she'll let him, you know, keep playing along for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. It's pretty fun. Yeah, I still don't know how I feel about these episodes. Yeah. It, it's still a lot and also not enough and also inconsequential in the end. Uh, well, but it does give... Because we see Kaznia again, right? Isn't Kaznia where that one robot is uh, in, in the JLU episode? Maybe. I... The, 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 not, he's not a robot. He's Ares. He's, he's the one... Uh, I think it's with Hawk and Dove oh, that, where he's powered by hate. I think that is in Cosnia. But so I, I agree with you. I don't mm. I don't think the Cosnian element here is that critical, but it does give us the background of Vandal Savage, who does make more appearances. Yes. <clears throat> that is important. Yeah. I, I do know what you mean though. It's like these episodes are are fine. I think there is some good stuff in there. It's just not, it's funny because it's not delivering something that we're used to seeing in Justice League or even in the rest of the DCAU, but it is delivering something we're just used to seeing in so many other places in pop culture. Mm-hmm. Um, it almost doesn't feel like it, it goes enough in either or direction. Like, it, I feel like maybe but I don't feel like it loses his identity because I think it does focus so much on Wonder Woman and especially her relationship with Batman that there's enough there for me to forgive that the rest of the episode is kind of generic. And, and I also, I just really like Vandal Savage. I think he's an interesting villain. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I do know what you mean. It, it's, it feels like kind of underwhelming in the end. Yeah. And, I, and I'm trying to think like if there's anything they could have done to change it my my first thought and i don't know how much i like this idea is like what if audrey and bruce had a history mm. not a big one I, uh no no, no I, don't like I don't that. i don't think it would have added much i i just don't think there's that much to add here i, I think they i think they wanted to do an episode of vandal i think they wanted to do an episode focusing on bruce and diana and that was their main focus. And so everything else they they built around it to support those two ideas was just a little bit on the generic side. I, I think it's more yeah. or less what they intended it to be. I just think it's not... It doesn't feel special in the way that some other episodes of Justice League have. And I think this season so far, like Twilight and Only a Dream, were really good, different episodes. And this just feels a little meh. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I can just accept that. Yeah. If you have to. I mean, you can't accept the fact that they mislabeled it a railgun, but, you know. I will never, never forgive them <laughs> for never, not calling it a quote. You'll never gun. forget, never forgive. Well, okay. So given all that, why don't we um, move on to some notes from friends here. Um, and Cameron, this one is specially for you. This is from Maddie. And he sent oh. us an excerpt from an interview. Did I say something wrong? Oh, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I no, feel no. like I'm in trouble whenever Maddie calls me out. Exactly. He, no, he's, um, he's not calling you out. In fact, actually, he's kind of uh, supporting one of your major gripes about Justice League. Green Lantern? Yes. Oh. <laughs> so he sent us uh, an excerpt from an interview with Bruce Timm. 
And he's specifically talking about the fact that John only just uses his power ring to shoot like beams and walls. Um, and so yeah. I'll, just, I'll go ahead. Beams, and kind of, balls, and walls. That's it. Yeah, beams, balls, and walls. I'll go ahead and read the excerpt here, but it, it does kind of highlight their their thought process. So Bruce says, "It's one of those things you never know when an idea is silly but cool, or when it's just silly." So the idea of a guy making giant green boxing gloves uh, at the time struck us as being just plain silly. In retrospect, I'd have to say it was probably a mistake. So we probably should have given him a little more variety in the kinds of things he makes. Um, but bottom line, I have to say that it really doesn't make any sense for a guy who's got this powerful ring on his hand that he can shoot laser beams with. There's no reason for him to make a giant green laser gun that also shoots beams. Fine. <laughs> like, you know, he basically just says that their whole thought was that it's at the end of the day, it's a weapon. And that's how John sees it as as a weapon. So, you know, he'll use it as a laser beam. He'll use it to make shields, um, you know, and it does make sense for his personality to treat it that way. But at the same time, yeah, we could have been a little bit more imaginative with usage. So. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, even he's an architect. Yeah. I mean, we always we always focus on his military background, but he's an architect by day. That is his profession. Now. Ooh, this is something I'm not sure about. Do we actually know if that's his profession in the DCAU? No, Chris. It's in the comics. <laughs> I mean... And I know they're different worlds. Yeah. I think Bruce Tim sums up pretty well, which is like, at the time, I can definitely see them wanting to err on the side of caution about anything they could come across as being a little bit visually silly in the mm-hmm. show. And... This is a pared down, simplified version of John. And I think it kind of makes sense that he just uses it the way he does. But I agree with you. It's not taking full advantage of the character or the medium. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of a shame. I agree. He made a spoon. Never forget. (laughs) That's strike two now for you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, thanks, Maddie, for, uh, for sending that in. Uh, and then we actually had a question come in from a listener Ooh. that we're going to take a look at here. Uh, so one of the, the listeners who uh, has been sending us a lot of lovely just comments and um, you know, messages on YouTube, um, his name is uh, Solomon Sultani, and my apologies if I mispronounce any part of that. Uh, but he asked us in reference to the episode Only a Dream, where everyone is subjected to their worst nightmare, because Wonder Woman's not in the episode, we never see what hers would be. So his question is, what do we think uh, this version of Wonder Woman, her worst nightmare, would have been? That is a great question. Yes. And I'll, I'll play this off like you didn't tell me this yesterday and I had all night to think about it. <laughs> well, to be fair, I had more than all night to think about it and I didn't. <laughs> so what, you actually did more work on this than I did, I think. Well, yeah. So, so my first thought about it is... Is it would just be the episode that we already saw. Her her worst nightmare is something happened on Themyscira where she her her family is in danger and she can't do anything about it. Agreed. Yeah. Um, it's like that feels like what her nightmare would be is because those are still her people. But then I was thinking about when we first have our episode with Wonder Woman. There's this like isolation about her mm-hmm. and entering into man's world. And I had this thought, and this might be projection. I don't know. I have to go to therapy for that. <laughs> um, I wonder if, if there's something about 
her nightmare is gum is coming to man's world and being rejected from there as well. And so now she has literally nowhere to go. And I, so it's her doing something or anything that gets her kind of not expelled, but the, this, the idea of, of staying isolated forever. No, I, I think you're on the right track there. I, I think you're right that the, the most obvious thing that comes to mind would have been something happening to her, her people. But because we've already seen that play out, I don't think the writers wanted to explore that. Um, also, there's not that much to dive into there with it. But I, I think you're onto something about, you know, her being left with nowhere to call home, right? Because she has left the only place she's ever known and is, you know, now on out on her own. And yeah, what would have happened if she had no home anymore? What what would have happened if she had been rejected by you know, this world that she gave up everything to go and protect. Yeah. You know, what, what if she made the wrong choice is, is kind of what it comes down to. Yeah. And it's interesting because, uh, Solomon and his, in our conversation on YouTube, you know, he mentioned that he feels like hot girl's nightmare would have been to die alone, but maybe they didn't explore that because it's also flash's nightmare. And I, and I think there is, uh, a similarity there between hot girl and wonder woman and that they are both, you know, completely separated from their own people and Mm -hmm. trying to find a place in this new world. And I think they approach it a little bit differently because the person has a little bit differently, but you know, Wonder Woman being the optimist, I can see that being a, you know, a really devastating thought of what happens if there's nowhere for me to go. There's nothing for me to do. No one wants me. I can't save the world. I gave up everything and nothing comes from it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Superman's is kind of like that, but it's, it's, you know, his is obviously more of like becoming this monster to the world Yeah, of being almost a burden to the world. Yeah. And I mean, it kind of, it makes sense that at their root, these are all heroes. They would have similar fears, right? Which is that they have mm-hmm. dedicated their lives to trying to help people. And it's not too much of a surprise that, one of their worst nightmares could be that ambition, that hope and that dream falling apart. And they have their own individualized specific fears. Um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, that idea of Wonder Woman being alone, of Hawkeye being alone, or of, you know, the Flash, his power separating from everyone, it makes sense as they're all similar. And you can kind of understand why maybe the writers chose to not include Wonder Woman in this episode if they couldn't find a way to really differentiate her story from everybody else's. The other thought that I keep going back to, which isn't really even a fear, is the the contingency plan that Batman has set from Justice League Doom, Mm -hmm. where she's caught in this kind of poison of never being able to leave a battle. Mm, Okay, yeah. But again, we also kind of already saw that when she had to fight Superman. That's true. We did see that play out once before. And and I feel like this version of Diana isn't as militaristic as other interpretations are. There are some versions that definitely show her as being a warrior, you know, and, and, and a warrior in the vein of, you know, the ancient Greek warriors. But that's not this version, really. Right. 
But I, I think you're right. I think a different version of Wonder Woman that worse fear would make sense. But yeah, this this version is it's not quite there. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I, I thought that was you know an interesting question and, and you know and kind of eh, in a similar thematic vein to some of the elements that are introduced in um, Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. I mean that's more about what happens when she gets her her deepest desire fulfilled rather than her worst nightmare come true. But you know they're kind of two sides of the same coin as the movie eventually shows. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, a, a really interesting idea. So uh, yeah, thanks Solomon for for writing in with the question. And uh, you know, we would love to get more questions from listeners. So if you if you have a question for us about an episode we've covered or just a, a general pop culture nerdy question you would like to hear us tackle, uh, let us know. We're at Tim Talk Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail. So yes, and also yeah. share what do you think Wonder Woman's nightmare would be? Yes, yeah, we'd love to hear people's thoughts on that. So. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Cameron, why don't we uh, land this bird here, wrap things up with some bat plugs. What have you been watching, listening to, or reading recently to distract yourself? Yeah, I, I haven't done a lot of new stuff. I'm kind of going to my safety nets a lot right now. Fair enough. You're the office, recess, taskmaster. Mm-hmm. But uh, there are two things I want to highlight really quick. I watched season three of Cobra Kai. Oh, Okay. Uh, and I, I will give it the same review that I gave season two. The writing is atrocious, mm-hmm. but the characters are so endearing. It's worth the watch. Okay. I, I have heard good things kind of all the way through on Cobra yes. Kai. So I feel like I should watch it at some point. It, it's very good. Uh, and then on HBO Max, mm-hmm. now that everyone has it since they got Wonder Woman 84, they've been secretly... Um, dropping in a bunch of nostalgia content that I'm surprised they're not highlighting more. But on January 1st, they added Kids Next Door, Ed, Ed, Nettie, Foster's Home, Billy and Mandy, and Teen Titans as part of the mid-shift of DC Universe to HBO Max. Mm -hmm. Um, On top of the the Cartoon Network content that already existed on there, Adventure Time, Chowder, uh, Ben 10, Well, thank God they finally put some more stuff on there because you and I had to resort to watching our our good old-fashioned DVDs this week to uh, keep up with Justice League. Yeah, Justice League is still not on HBO Max. No, they finally got Batman Beyond and BTOS up on HBO Max, but the big problem with how they put BTOS up there is they put it up in release order, not production order, so it's a fucking chaotic mess. Great. Yep. Because they just really don't have their shit together on that one, do they? No. No. And, and, and look, I'll, I'll be, I don't think I've blatantly said it on the podcast. Uh, I was fired from Warner. Yes. And I, I feel like it's an extra twist of the dagger that they're doing this without, like, consulting anybody. Yeah. It's definitely an insult to injury situation right now, isn't it? Yeah. But hey, you know, at least they have offered up uh, some of your most beloved shows finally in a nice, convenient I got Kids Next Door. So you got got Kids Next Door. Kids Next Door, Billy and Mandy. That's what I'll throw in the plugs is Kids Next Door. That's always a fun one. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, What about you? What have you been watching, listening, reading? Uh, Kind of the same. I've been um, rewatching, I mean, especially on the holidays. I always have my staple of holiday movies that I go and watch. you know, and just throwing on some some comfort movies and comfort shows in the background. Um, but I did see a m- movie for the first time recently, uh, which was Nine to Five, the the nineteen eighty film with 
uh, Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, and the great Dolly Parton in her first acting role. Oh, wow. It is really, really fun. Um, I didn't really know much about it going in. I just, you know, I knew that it was, you know, three women trying to navigate the 1980s corporate world, which is a, a hellscape of a different kind that I can't even imagine. Um, but it is like a, a, a fun ride all the way through. Like the characters are super fun. Those three leads especially are just ridiculously, ridiculously charming um, and have great chemistry together. And uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of like fun and a little bit wackier than I was expecting it to be. Um, but I really, really enjoyed it. It's a, it's a good ride. So definitely want to oh, check the it out. hair. I love it. Plus, uh, you know, it, it's the origin of one of Dolly Parton's great songs, of course, the titular nine to five. Of course. Yeah. So, um, no, it's, it's a lot of fun. Definitely recommend giving that I'm one a watch the trailer. So, but I think that does it for us this week. Uh, it was nice to be finally back on some, uh, proper DCAU content once again. So, but, we uh, we will be back we next week with, uh, more DCAU. We're, we're, we're kind of past our, our, brief little period of doing a bunch of bonus episodes and back on a normal topic at hand. And so next week will be hearts and minds, which if I recall is a uh, green lantern core focused episode, <gasps> which should be very exciting for you, Cameron. Oh man, I'm pumped. Thank you for, for giving me life for yeah, this week. You, know, you gotta, you gotta have those little things to look forward to here and there. Um, yeah, but no, thank you as always everyone for listening. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's nice to be back doing this again and, uh, yeah, I hope everyone's doing okay. And hopefully we are able to help, you know, give you a nice, a little, little positivity, a little bit of distraction these days. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, if you we all desperately need it right now. Yes, we, we definitely do. Not all of us can find inner peace like I have. Yes, and congratulations, Cameron, on finally achieving inner peace. Thank you. Very proud of you. It took a lot of work. I know. I know it's a lot of work, but uh, I, I, I commend. I commend the work you put into completely separating yourself from the horrors of the world right now. So yeah, well done. Well done. Namaste. Thank you. Namaste. Yes, but you can find us at Tim Talk Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, and you can find me at Lordifer on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, yeah, if you want to see my art, you can find that at Cameron.Dexter. And if you want to see my face, you can find that at CamDexter underscore Adventures. Well, Haven't updated either of them since eh, 2019. It's fine. Everyone's kind of writing this year off anyways, Cameron. Yeah. It's all good. All right. Well, Everything's thanks, fine. everyone, for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Oh, nice. Beautiful.